ugly, ugly giant bags of mostly water. We make lights blink, you do not see. We talk, you do not listen. We record podcasts. State why man who drills needs be canceled. Load podcast to Apple. You do not listen. War is now with you. Microbrains log from Talara 3. Welcome to Reengage, everyone, where we return to a sci-fi show we all have a strong connection to, Star Trek The Next Generation. It debuted in 1987 when we were all young, and now in 2021, we re-engage with the series one episode at a time and reconsider Star Trek from a whole new perspective as as adults, perhaps even. Uh, let's say hi to some of those adults. Uh, I am excited to welcome Jimmy G. Hi, Jimmy. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you for having me. Excited to talk about home soil. It's got some home and some dirt, which is two of your favorite things. Yeah. Uh, Eric Gratton, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing okay. Kate Yeager, welcome. I'm so glad oh to talk to you. Oh my gosh, thank you. I'm so glad to talk to you. Guess what? I got a cat, a cat. and I love him. His name is Beep, and we're in love. So I'm distracted is I what I'm saying. Beep. I'm distracted. I know I love Beep too. Well, we are here to discuss Home Soil. It is episode 17 uh, in this first season of Star Trek Next Generation. It first debuted on February 22nd, 1988. Uh, and it did not do very well. Uh, it is actually the lowest rated episode of this season uh, with Ooh. only 9 million uh, rating uh, from Nielsen, uh, which makes it the second worst behind the Ferengi episode, Last Outpost. So it's got it's battling some some terribleness right here from the beginning. <laughs> uh, but in 1988, there was a lot of stuff going on. Uh, father figure was number one. We already mentioned that, uh, but it is a classic. It's going to be on. I will be your preacher teacher. That's a just upsetting song in so many ways. <laughs> uh, also, this is when the 1988 Winter Olympics were occurring in Calgary. These were big I'm, deals. Yes. I am obsessed with the Olympics. It's been actually very difficult for me, this pandemic. <laughs> 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 for no other reason than that, than that the Olympics Was have that been the delayed. Orser and Boitano? Uh, it's the Battle of the Bryans. Oh, uh, Brian nice. Boitano Everybody remembers that. Ended up winning the gold uh, over Brian Orser, uh, Orser, who was the Canadian favorite. Jimmy, did you ever watch figure skating uh, with your family? Uh, I watched it not with my family, um, but I'm uh figure skating adjacent because my boss in New York City, uh, he and his husband met on the uh the dance skating Olympic team, oh, and yeah. uh they they eventually left that and got married, and the the uh, Mexican national husband went on to become the vice president worldwide of L'Oreal Cosmetics, allowing my boss to become a figure skating judge, which uh, you have to pay for everything on your own. And he had to travel around the world, often to Russia, to uh, judge. And he was actually the judge 
sitting judge for America when uh, the two Americans won the 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 uh, Olympic dance skating competition in Soji. Oh, wow. that's incredible! Wow. Yeah. What a weird connection. Um, did he yeah. did he throw it to him or what? <laughs> he was on the uh, tape, right? No, you know, I actually talked to him about that because he he uh, came to Seattle not too long after I had been here, about three or four years. Um, and uh, he was telling me about it. And he said, oh, it's so much pressure because everybody there, um, like you only get to do the Olympics once. That's it. And you never get to be a judge again. Oh, wow. Um, oh. So that it even came to a vote while he was there was pretty incredible. Uh, and you're just one vote out of all the rest and you have to sort of make an argument as to why you're doing it or not. And it really wouldn't have mattered, I think, because they nailed it from what I recall. And, uh, you know, it was like nines and tens across the board. So nice. Uh, but he said that it was a pretty cool experience being in Sochi and, you know, the hotel was immaculate with what you could see, but there's all kinds of doors you weren't allowed to go behind. <laughs> sure. Because <laughs> <laughs> they were like unfinished parts of the hotel. Uh, but very expensive sport to be a part of. I didn't realize they had to pay for it. That's crazy. But scoring was a really important part of these Olympics, uh, especially for those figure skating things, because I think the uh, Katarina Witt won the gold uh, by a sh very, very short margin. Uh, and Brian Boitano only won by, I think it was 0.25 uh, of an average score, wow. uh, uh, which... I'm not remembering exactly how there's a lot of decimals involved in those scores, if I remember correctly. Um, but yeah, that was it was a huge deal. And there it's very subjective. I've really fallen away from paying much attention to the individual sports over the last, I don't know, yeah. 20 years. Like I used to really, really care about tennis at all levels. And I used to really care about golf and I, you know, I, I pay attention to it when it's on. Like if I'm channel surfing and Serena Williams is playing, I'm going to watch, but, uh, you know, right. I, I don't pay much attention to any individual sport anymore. Well, and I, you know, the only ones I ever competed in, in school were individual and it's, it's very strange. I like, uh, events where the pressure is on and it's very uh like it, it's life or death so i love the olympics i love the super bowl i love like anytime there's you know a final anything where you've got brackets of teams working together i'm in because the drama is high yeah and i think the the telecasts are getting better and better and heightening that drama by you know making it be like you know all about uh, the personal stories. And this really, that really started to ascend around this time, at least, you know, I guess for me, because I was paying attention. I was, you know, nine, 10 at this time. And I remember all of these and watching them for two weeks. It was such a, a very almost holiday like feeling when I was a child uh, that the Olympics were on. I used to look forward to it. And uh, 1.5 billion people watched the opening ceremonies in Calgary. That number was staggering to me. Wow. That's a lot. So yeah, that's incredible. You're saying a few more than watched this episode. <laughs> <laughs> like six more, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but the final note about uh, uh, these Winter Olympics is when the this is when the Jamaican bobsled team uh, made its debut, uh, which yes. many people may know is uh, dramatized in the 1993 John Candy vehicle. <laughs> Uh, cool runnings. 
That's what yes. it's called. Hell yeah. See, this is what I love about the Olympics because there's always a story that's like, and it's always narrated by a Brit. Uh, <laughs> this individual has never seen water in their life. Today they will swim the 800 yard. Like there's always some like odds against this person ever being able to make it. And then you fall in love with whoever it is from whatever country they're in. And you're rooting for that person and that person alone. The stakes. Oh, I love it. The stakes are so high. And it's funny you mentioned. They said without arms, he would never do archery. (laughs) Today, he will prove them wrong. I'm going to use my teeth to pull those strings. Damn you. That's... So there was a, there was a, uh, I didn't remember this story, but I read about it as I was doing research, but there was a British uh, mountain uh, a ski jumper uh, who participated in the events and he got so destroyed. Uh, not in a, you know, Are you talking about his, Eddie the Eagle? Uh, I'm not sure it was Eddie the Eagle. No, uh, it was, it might've been dramatized in that way uh, later, uh, but he was got way more famous basically by failing by by being so below like what was is that the is that i thought it was freddie the falcon but okay <laughs> <laughs> no that's peanut butter falcon oh right got it, got it. bob the condor <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right so yeah. home soil it is stardate 41463.9 the enterprise uh visits a planet Talara three and immediately things go off the rails. Uh, it was written, uh, I'm sorry. The teleplay was by Robert Sabaroff, uh, with a story by Carl Gures, Ralph Sanchez and Robert Sabaroff, uh, directed by Corey Allen, who also directed, uh, encounter at Farpoint. And, uh, Eric, you wanted to, uh, talk a little bit about his career. Oh, dude is a legend. Were you guys familiar with uh, Corey Allen before this? No. Uh, did you ever see Rebel Without a Cause? Yes. He Heard played Buzz, the oh, right, right. antagonist who gets in the knife fight and the car oh, chase yeah. with James Dean and dies in a fiery wreck because his leather jacket gets caught, right? Which then later on got used in Footloose uh, <laughs> to basically do the same thing with that tractor uh, uh, chicken race, right? And he actually, because they were all method actors, this guy, this dude stabbed James Dean. What? <laughs> on set. So that's what a legend this guy is. He directed the the pilot for Murder, She Wrote. He yes. was really? directing Hill Street Blues. Like, uh, this dude, as an actor, he was in, like I say, Rebel Without a Cause in the same year was in Night of the Hunter. Like, this guy had such a fantastic career. And young actors, just so you know, stabbing somebody isn't an ode to your training. It's a criminal act that does not deserve <laughs> to be applauded. It's, a thousand percent. Right, right. That's not acting. He, he wasn't he, even he, playing he, the he Joker. He did a great job. Like, I really believed how you stabbed him. Young actors, <laughs> you should also go on YouTube and find the video of Rip Torn attacking Norman Mailer with a hammer. Uh, okay, so I, I once showed that to a group of people at a party <laughs> and then got the nickname Hammer Murder <laughs> for a year. <laughs> Every time I'd come in a party, they'd be like, here comes hammer murder. Because right. <laughs> apparently that was Got not the right vibe. any more snuff porn you want us to watch, Kate? <laughs> oh, my God. 
That's like me trying to get my my uh, high school friends to watch Reservoir Dogs, and we watch that opening scene over and over again. And they're like, "No, we're not watching this. He's bleeding all over for like twenty five minutes." <laughs> Very cool, good career, but of course, this is uh, another example of some fraught production. Uh, behind the scenes. What? Here in season one? Never. Never. You wouldn't even think it. Gene Roddenberry uh, might have messed it up once more uh, because this is the last episode in which he is acting as head writer. After this, Mm. Maurice Hurley takes over uh, and that's the official story. So I'm not, I don't know if this was exactly when stuff went off the rails and uh, uh, they decided Maurice was better helming the ship or not um but all of the uh creators for this basically said that it was a very difficult script uh to to develop uh there's a lot going on here and 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 we can certainly start to talk about why um before we do that though there are some awesome co-stars in here uh walter gotell as the uh, chief terraformer here, uh, I didn't realize he was basically the KGB head for about five James Bond movies. Yes, yeah, uh, the ones of our youth. Oh, he has one of my favorite lines of this episode, which is, uh, "I create life. Walk, 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 walk. Okay. I don't take it." <laughs> <laughs> he's got so many good zingers. He really does. He's got- uh, yeah, he's invested in the status quo, you might say. I, I'm, I'm well, 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 there's more to, t- to delve into there because I'm not really sure exactly what he's culpable of uh, and why he's so nervous to begin with. Um, but we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll cross that bridge there. Uh, Gerard Prendergrast uh, is the Bjorn, uh, who's basically the one of the most talky uh, terraformers down there uh, with a mullet to die for. Yeah, and it. Yeah, the chin you could sit in. <laughs> um, he was in a most notably, perhaps notorious film. Uh, I've never actually seen this film either, but Bachelor Party. Uh, You've never seen Bachelor Party. Oh. Never seen Bachelor Party. I was a very uh, sheltered child. I remember my 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 brothers talking about it in hushed tones. That's how I remember. Gentlemen, start your boners. <laughs> Is I believe spoken by Adrian Zemed in that one. If I'm not mistaken, but we'll give but it yeah, to Jerry Prendergast. Finest early hour. Um, another really cool. Well, actually, two new things. Elizabeth Lindsay uh, plays the other scientist, and uh, she was the Hawaii, Miss Hawaii uh, wow. the year before, and jump started her acting career. Uh, went on to uh, do a lot more, but then she ends up having a, a you know a nice little scene with Riker there, doesn't she? She does indeed. Yeah. I always did the Riker maneuver. As soon as I saw that, I was like, maybe you'll have a better life. Like, hell yeah, you will. Yeah. Well, I Ever. Say, she also, uh, after acting, went and got her doctorate in cultural anthropology and is a National Geographic fellow, the first female one, and the first Polynesian explorer at the National Geographic Society. Holy nice. shit. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, she did a few like Fantasy Island type uh, things in the yep. in the 90s. Charlie's Angels and uh, some recurring roles. Uh, but yeah, then ended up being like, yeah, I'm a, like Brian May. He's like, you know, after I'm a famous uh, guitarist from Queen, I'm going to be an astrophysicist. And uh, you know, she she did it 
1999. Um, and then the uh, woman in engineering, her name is Carolyn Barry. Uh, she previously appeared in the original series uh, as a Metron on the Arena series. Um, and so that's a nice little callback to uh, playing from before. A lot of those in season one, I'm, I'm noticing. I wonder if these are all Gene Roddenberry's like, you know, I, I told you I'd get you more kicks. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of these interesting things is um, the other engineer, uh, Malin Mallinson, was played by a character actor I've always loved, Mario Racuzo, I think is how you pronounce it. And he, as a kid, moved to L.A. with his mom, who was an actor, after his father, who was also an actor, passed away. And his acting teacher when he was a kid in L.A. was one Corey Allen, the director of oh. this uh, <clears throat> Yeah, but I mean, he, I mean, between that and this, like he worked with John Frankenheimer and like, uh, you know, he he has 250 appearances. I looked up on IMDb what? and like that. Crazy. So, like, I always really like how conflicted he looks whenever he's doing anything. So, I really enjoyed this right up until he got lasered off the face of the earth. <laughs> <At> the <laughs> end his of face got lasered off the earth, I guess. Uh, so, the cold open is uh, going to this planet, uh, Talara 3. And from the get go, we know there's going to be some nervousness because Picard starts doing that rubbing his neck movement uh, ah, yes. in the beginning. I'm like, is he sick already? Is that his? <laughs> there's a virus being bought already. <laughs> uh, but then, I mean, Jimmy, you've mentioned this many times as to how invaluable Deanna Troy is, both as a wingman for Riker, uh, but also because she's can give up the game immediately. Like, there's something going wrong yeah. here. You know, it's great too. She can feel feelings through the video phone <laughs> that's what's super cool like thousands of miles don't matter she can totally just she can feel it all just by looking at you so that's a superpower seriously I, they got a they got a they got a winner there that should keep her around i was trying to imagine the other end of that conversation because they keep putting him on mute <laughs> so that they can so that they can obviously talk about him. <laughs> right. I know what I you're doing. I just I just want to see the other side of that conversation. Right. <laughs> he's got the uh, Walter Gotell has that great line too, where he's like, I'm trying not to be rude. <laughs> but get the fuck out. He does, he does that uh, very condescending thing extraordinarily well. I, it's impressive. I want to say before this even happens, there is a beautiful shot uh, where they're all ready and they're all like in in on the bridge making the call. And there's this anticipation and there's this just gorgeous depth of field shot where you see Jordy in the forefront and then it fans out behind him sort of in a flying V formation. And it's just this stunning shot in the middle of a really beautifully shot and really interestingly shot uh, episode uh, full of some of the best cinematography I think we've seen this season. Yeah. Uh, at least the most interesting. Agreed. Go ahead. Thank I, you. I, I, I completely agree. And a lot of the reviews I read of this call it kind of distracting and thrown together and, and, and not fit 
with with what the series is and i agree that it doesn't really fit in with the rest of the series but i dig outlier episodes like that like i i, I tended to enjoy the fly episode of breaking bad and, and you know the, the stuff that just is so off the wall wacky and this doesn't reach that level but i agree Kate, it's like cinematic they use focus yeah. pulling and they use all of the stuff you don't expect in this, epi- this episode never met a close-up that it didn't love well larry nemesek says in the book that um it's the shortest paragraph that he's written uh, on any of the episodes uh, and he says that there's almost nothing good to say about this episode and almost everything went wrong in it wow. and he specifically brings up what you pointed out Eric that um, they were getting rewrites almost every single day wow. uh, and having to redo redo things and and he fa- he says about the only good thing that came from this episode is the line uh, bags of mostly water <laughs> ugly bags of mostly water <laughs> that's a favorite it's a good one which is my new ska band <laughs> which is ugly bags i'm always looking that. for the new ska band name uh but you know it's so funny like i i saw you guys talk about the the shots and how much you liked them and again i was like wow i'm on the outside looking in again because <laughs> i was on that camp of when that shot of jordy i was just like is this my new tv like i didn't like it and i absolutely hated when the whole crew split the middle console to exit out for no other reason than a director was like, I think this will look great because there's nowhere from the go except for right at the view screen and then exit right over to one of the turbo lifts, which would have been faster just to turn around. But that wouldn't have been interesting. And I hate choices that are so frivolous like that. My entire experience of that scene was Jimmy's going to hate this. Jimmy's going (laughs) to hate this. I hate it. And I hate it that I hate it. (laughs) <laughs> like, why can't i just like things <laughs> that i would hit it yeah no i felt like the director just got out of cinematography school and i was like oh i just learned this new thing guys well you're not just- alone i think a lot of people at the time wrote that as well but i i did dig it i there's one cross that i really love that uh, uh gotel does uh when they're on the planet uh finally looking at it but he's in the in the you know he's just kind of introduced after he's they've been talking to the scientists for a while and he makes this cross and ends up with this really uh i guess dirty shot where it's jordy's like shoulder there's data is in profile and and he's and gotel's giving these really important lines in profile as well and i i i loved it because it was so not expected because it was something that I'm like, oh, this feels like a it's like a well composed painting uh, that we're that we're seeing here uh, as far as you know looking at the different profiles and and the actors' faces, and I dug it, I did, I, it, and yeah. but to Jimmy's point, I guess you're not supposed to necessarily notice those things. Notice that I 100 percent agree that it doesn't fit in with the rest of the series <laughs> whatsoever. <laughs> Uh, but there were certain shots, especially that I just dug. I just thought they were interesting and, and it was sort yeah, of a nice too. little break in the middle of things. Yeah. Agreed. There was one shot at the very beginning that just starts in blackness. And then you figure out that the blackness is the butt of Riker's uniform. <laughs> then he moves away very seductive <laughs> camera. And that's when the, the camera pulls out and shows the rest of the bridge. But there's no way that wasn't on right. this. And it was amazing. There's <laughs> a, it's interesting you bring that up, Eric, because there's one point where Riker has a stance. And he's almost like a dancer. He's framed in the door. And his right leg is turned out 
It's like he's in, I don't know if it's third position, what a ballet dancer would call it. Seven. Like, wow, Riker, are you pulling a maneuver on me right now? That's a randy stance you have, my friend. <laughs> but, and then I don't know if this is off topic or, but one of the things that struck me about the staging, um, and I don't know if this has been building up or and it just came on that episode, but there was one point where all the characters are on the bridge and the bridge obviously isn't meant to have those people. And it's really unwelcoming in that you have three very comfy chairs for the captain, the number one and extraneous third person. And then everyone else has to kind of stand or find somewhere to fit in. So it's not a great place for a lot of people to meet and talk in in debate. So there's one point where I think it was Crusher and maybe Troy and somebody else were just standing like, I guess it would be stage stage left. And like you could tell, it's like it's this isn't comfortable talking here, guys. Can we go to the ready room or to any one of the other places with a table? Because (laughs) I feel like an intruder right now. Uh, it, It didn't look welcoming. Jimmy, I have to admit something about this episode, and it's really hard for me to admit this. I have to admit that this episode has a lot of extraneous Wesley Crusher in it. There were so many scenes where I was like, why is Wesley on the bridge? (laughs) Why is he on the bridge right now? And I love him. And I meeting in the middle, listeners. But there, the but there was just like, he's in every single scene. And I'm like, at some point, some yeah. adult would have shushed him out at, you know. Uh, this is I, what's called crossing the aisle. Look, look, look. It's just this episode. It's just this episode. And it's those scenes in the in the in the medical bay, uh, and I and I, I know now that you mentioned it, Jimmy, too. I noticed though that staging where there was, you know, two or three people perfectly aligned, so it looked like it was a U, all pointed, looking at the uh, at the micro brain uh, being lit in this bell jar, um, and they they didn't just do that once though. They did that I think for two, maybe even three scenes where they go back to it over the course of the episode. I'm like, why are they all still standing in the same position that they were? <laughs> three hours earlier they're thinking about the micro about the whole time for something so small it thinks so big they're all very relaxed for being you know in an initially uncontained space without quarantine in place with a new life form like once they get the quarantine shit like they're just walking down the hall everything's right I would be screaming and running into furniture. <laughs> oh, come on. How come Crusher isn't so concerned about scanning that life form? Because <laughs> they didn't think it There's was a life, There's in the middle of 2021 where people like are still licking toilets and shit. So. <laughs> That's the whole point is that they don't. They're like, it's inorganic. Uh, that just is means not life. Everyone knows that, right? Uh, even though it's the first thing that's mentioned when they see it, Data's like, could you think it could be alive? And it's, you know, this, we- that's the question that you're playing with the entire time. Um, and that's that's what ends up getting uh, Malinson killed. Uh, you know, we get that introduction and then the first act is basically the setup for a mystery movie, right? Because you get like, here's why we're here. Here's the terraforming that we're doing. Here is all the evidence. Here's the relationships between uh, these, you know, four scientists that are working on this thing, and then one of them dies, and then 
it's supposed to be this great whodunit of like, all right, it's got to be one of them three because we know it's not any of the crew and try and figure that out. And then it gets subverted uh, a little bit. But what do you guys think about that initial setup? Did you, Eric, did you think that made made sense? Did they pay it off? Oh, I think it's great. It's hard to remember seeing it for the first time because I knew that there was an alien life form controlling everything. So it's hard to remember back to when I didn't know that, but it's got that, you know, the Agatha Christie feel. They do a beautiful little red herring moment where uh, he gets sent to that room Mm -hmm. and he says, now, like that it's really, and it's right after he said something a little salty or like he said something that was, uh, you know, he kind of got slapped down a little bit for. So it does, you know, sort of put a little suspicion in your mind. Uh, I'm laughing because I'm looking at my notes and I had a a cat on my lap. So I was tapping, typing with one finger (laughs) and I wrote, Oh shit, that one guy got hurt to death. Just kidding. He's just hurt really bad. Oh, but wait, Riker just said it's hopeless. This is a journey. That's the. It's <laughs> <laughs> so great with one hand. That's pretty good. I t- That's it took me a very long term. It took me a very long time to type that. <laughs> they shot Melanson all over the place. Like he got shot many, many times, and you had time to hunt and peck that wonderful piece of poetry for us. Yeah, shout out to those guys. That guy screams. Uh, they were really, it was scary. I was like, hey, what's happening? It's, and they go on for a very long time. I mean, I guess I, 250 TV appearances in a very long and illustrious career. Dude knows <laughs> how to scream. Uh, there's a great moment when Data goes in. It's just a great little line uh, where the laser starts going off and they, they're trying to figure out what's going on with Data and they say, what's going on? And he just says, too much to explain. Yeah, I just fucking love that line because yeah. it's so it's so true <laughs> in the moment too because it's just not what he has time to deal with, and also there's a lot of things happening. He's he's got to go mess up a, a laser, <laughs> and that that leads us to the the moment that I completely agree with you, Jimmy. That that close up of Jordy with uh, uh, Mister Pendergrast over his shoulder uh, when Data's in the room getting shot at it's so distracting and and kind of ridiculous and there's no way to get around it but then they kind of repeat it later on with data and jordy uh looking at the alien for the first right. time, and the lighting is so dark and down that hall and that looks kind of like something out of 2001 and is kind of beautiful yeah like, that one didn't bother me at all like that's yeah, natural it's, it's like hit, it, hit it, and miss yeah it had a it fit in what what was happening it didn't seem like I guess I wasn't aware of the camera then. That was just like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to see. And the other one was like, oh, now I, I can see the strings. And I didn't, I didn't totally. know that. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the, the, the other one I mentioned didn't work. That the, one what's I his feel name? like was um, the same kind of attempt. Right. The, the go-to guy, Gotel, the, 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 the um, leader. The leader. Yes. There's this funny moment when he puts his arms around. Is it Manicel, the the um, hydraulics guy? He like walks him to the room where he's gonna get killed, but he really put in an intimate in. arm wrap. And I was like, that's a that's that's that guy. That wasn't a character choice. That that was like that guy is a hugger, I bet. Like, he, like, <laughs> he brought that guy in more so than this gruff dude would have, I think I would have guessed he would have been uh I wouldn't have guessed that character would have been that intimate. Um 
I'm noticing some a trend here when we're talking about uh, this director, Corey Allen. Uh, one of the things that was always said about him, especially even in Farpoint, was that he shoots things very much more quickly uh, than even is written on the page. Uh, and so maybe some of the things we're talking about were actually just padding out the 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 acts a little bit, like especially even the the Jordy yelling data. Data. He yells it like four times, and you're like, you know, you probably could have just cut after the first one. But I right. think they needed open this door some extra time. And then I'm thinking of the previous one too, where it's an extremely long shot of an inanimate laser <laughs> that goes on for about ten seconds, and, and with the crescendo and the music, and you're supposed to be like, this is supposed to be a lot more dramatic shot than I think it is. Yeah, the music does all of the work in the laser fight. And then the door opens and Data emerges from the world wrestling in her Yeah, the smoke. What did you do to my laser? Says, <laughs> years work. <laughs> right. Oh. <laughs> That's right. I forgot. He was upset about the laser. <laughs> It was very much that Chris Farley energy and uh, and uh, Tommy Boy. It was like, what'd you do? <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, we're talking a little about uh, you know uh, the the vibe of the episode and everything that I kept reading about it talked about how this was the first real foray into hard sci-fi that that Star Trek had been doing, which is uh, in in the original ep- uh, series, it was I guess largely you know fantastical and what ifs. And in the original, uh, in the, a lot of the writers went more into what's the actual science behind some of this stuff, and what, you know, were the actual questions that that brings up, and the logical next steps, and all that kind of stuff to make it quote hard science fiction, right? Yeah, yeah, and, this and really does that. The the moral questions involved, and this has both, right? Because you do get some of the hard science and and the morals. Uh, I really like that scene with uh, Data, Worf, and Geordi at the consoles. Another kind of cinematic view that you don't see very often in 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 this episode is shooting from a different angle on those consoles than you normally do. Um, and Worf is in the, in the in the background, and they're just talking about what what components this life form has, uh, you know, and and oh, that can be a conductor, and that can be, uh, you know, show, shine light if it's if there's power going through it, and they get power this way, and. Uh, that, that was the, the one where I'm like, oh, there actually is a lot of research and, uh, you know, they're saying compounds that I know <laughs> it right. felt like the real hard science. Um, and it feels like a lot of this episode is about trying to convince the computer that it's life. <laughs> at least that one scene. <laughs> um, we'll get to that crusher scene crusher in a moment. But... Says, Can you at least theorize about it then? <laughs> yeah. Which, why weren't they doing that from the very beginning anytime yeah. something hard came along uh computer can you theorize why uh the holodeck keeps killing people <laughs> this is a previously unknown skill that yeah is underutilized right and we can't break away from that scene greg though without bringing up warp's great line yes where he asks a question and the computer answers and he says i wasn't talking to you <laughs> And that is something another great war fly that happens in my household on a daily basis now with all of these, uh, you know, personal assistant devices who never listen when I want them to and listen when I don't want them to just like Worf. I think this might be the is this the first uh, instance of that ever happening of someone getting saucy with the computer? Yeah, as far as I know. 
in all of sci-fi. I don't think it's ever existed. <laughs> certain, certainly not in all of sci-fi, but the, yeah, in, in Star Trek, I bet. Yeah. Groundbreaking. I call upon you, our listeners, uh, you ugly bags of water. <laughs> Find out <laughs> if it is the first. Uh, mostly water. Mostly water. Mostly, mostly water. They mostly are water at night. Mostly. I was going to say, was that a, I knew that was an alien. <laughs> Fuck yeah, it was. Oh, yeah, mostly. They mostly come at night. Mostly. So they do, in fact, uh, determine that it is life uh, after convincing the computer and after Wesley is there to be able to provide some background. <laughs> literally, I wrote, literally, I wrote down because I was like, OK, they're bringing this thing up. What could be? There's no danger there. Sure. Let's bring this unknown thing up after we've just had a major accident and someone is dead. And then let's put Wesley in there for some reason. And so I wrote down, why is Wesley in this room? And then he goes, well, what if? And he had his, you know, explanation for it. And then I wrote, oh, that's why Wesley is in the room. I, I saw it, Jimmy. I saw it. I'm not saying that I will see it in the future, but I saw it in that instance. You you red-pilled me temporarily. It's fine. <laughs> but the, what I liked about at least this is that they're like, he's not really that the wonder kind in this one, right? Because he says a few lines, but it's not like he's got the key to solving this problem in any he way. is the one that sort of leads them to because he asked them about oh gosh, shit what is it? it it's about the repetition of the light right? yeah and like is I that is remember. that based on he's brilliant fuck you right but he's not the one he's not the one who realizes all we have to do is turn off the lights which by this the thing way, that took is... over our computer with ease all you have to do is turn off the lights it is ready to quit we're starting What's a what's a little uh, light waterboarding amongst Federation officers, right? Like, turn off right. The we don't want to hurt you, but literally, we're doing the thing that will kill you, and we'll turn it back up a little bit. A yeah. little bit, <laughs> not too much. We don't want him to think we're too good, right? He's got to know who's in charge here. Give him a little bit of light, Riker. <laughs> and Riker's the only one who can go down there. There's nobody else in that ship. He's like, hey, Kev, I'm right here. I'm. Right I'm right by the door. I can do this. No, Riker. Number one. Number one's going down there. <laughs> you know how to talk to ladies. You go and uh, <laughs> because of the lady. tell the computer what to do. Can I say that when they were deciding what the plan was going to be, I, I don't know that I've ever heard an Act 5 recap of the episode quite as perfect as Patrick Stewart does there. Um, and, uh, that scene is also interesting because you get that. That's the first where you're trying to piece together what this, the real plot was that they were trying to keep this secret somehow. And, and my, my logic brain just can't really fathom why they would do that. Like I still to this to don't understand. So maybe, I don't know. Do you, any of you know exactly why he was so reluctant to have them visit at this juncture and why he was nervous about them coming down and perhaps discovering these flashing lights that some of his crew think might be alive. lifelike, but others don't. And so he's just he, trying to be like, he hey, we're in the middle of a fight right alive. now. Don't come in. Is that what it is? Yeah. I think it's as simple as that. He has suspected that they were alive the whole time. Almost from the very beginning. Give him a week and he thinks they'll be dead and everybody can visit them. Yeah. You know, he, he's guilty. Even he though- talks about... He talks about those patterns in the sand and like how they began to change at really particular times uh, when they, you know, like, I, I think there was enough, uh, n at least, at least suspicion 
that maybe things aren't quite up to code. And so that's why he tells, that's why he has Mallinson do that right away because he's like, as soon as that's done, this problem will go away. Well, they've been there for a while, right? Or not? Yeah. You remember when she does the walkthrough? I'm not clear on how long they've been on the planet. Well, at least a year because the laser took a year to build, right? Okay. So they hadn't been there like 10 years or something. Yeah. The sci- it, it, he kept using the Federation as his excuse when he said, like, the, the Federation said there is no life. And I felt like that was his, like, blanket over the problem. Oh, that, plausible deniability. Yeah. Plausible deniability. Per- yeah, perfectly. Plausible deniability. Like, we... Yeah, we discovered there's there might be life, but you said there wasn't. So, and he says so. We ignored it. Like he's to that effect. He's like, so we yeah, just didn't even think about we're it. We're not experts. You, yeah, we're not experts on that. We're here to terraform. You said there wasn't life, so we didn't care. Well, and that's you know that's uh, an intentional, I'm sure, uh, though certainly uh, true. Whether it's intentional or unintentional metaphor for the ecological, you know, problems with construction and and. Uh, colonization we got the permit so it's fine yeah Yeah, exactly um there's a there's a great moment there where uh uh mullet boy says tell them about (laughs) tell them about the pattern in the sand and picard just says oh yes do tell us yes oh it's so good yeah yes do tell us so do you i mean uh, this is a question for you kate because you called out that line too where where he says uh you know i create life i I don't take it. Right. Was, do you believe him? Was he lying? Uh, that is more him talking to himself than to anybody in that room, mm. uh, or at least just as much. I think there's a lot of, uh, when you know you're probably wrong, that's when you double down, right? Because if you admit that you were wrong, then you have to admit how far back you were wrong. So instead, he just doubles down on that i don't know i I, anytime someone explodes like that it's like oh no he the lady doth protest too much like Mm -hmm. it's just a little bit of guilty conscience perhaps (laughs) that's a good point i hadn't considered that because i i I took it at face value along with the uh, uh elizabeth Lindsay's character she seems genuinely horrified that anything that they would do would have uh hurt life and i and i i i thought um I'm forgetting his character's name, but I thought I thought the leader th- might have been in that camp as Mandel. well. But now I'm realizing maybe there was two kind of factions. There was Mallinson who was trying to argue that it was life, and uh, Bjorn, uh, played by Gender, Gerard Prendergast and uh, uh, KGB, who was trying to say like, no, 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 that's crazy. You're not thinking that. And then uh, KGB gets angry and indignant about it, and. Uh, Gerard Prendergast is the one who's like, I, he's the, I like that little sequence where he's like, I don't know. Yeah. Now that based on what you said, I fucked up. Basically, he's, he's yeah. saying, and it's really well, powerful. Think about it. Think about it this way: if you've got the data in front of you, and the data says one thing, and it's the thing you want to believe to be true, mm. then you're going to dismiss everything. It's it's you know you've got your own bias based right. on that information. Right. Which is, I, I think, part of the whole hard science fiction about it is that the moral question involved is that they didn't mention it to anybody and expose it to peer review. They just went ahead and 
usually what you're supposed to do is if you notice something weird, you say, hey, isn't this weird? And then somebody looks into it and then they find out why it's weird. And, you know, uh, the whole peer review system is supposed to be that. So the the moral failing uh, is, you know, you see something, but don't say something. And and there's uh, the prime directive one, you like, because if there's a possibility of life, but one of the, I thought for some reason they had been there for like, just based on the the walkthrough when she said gave the timeline, I thought that maybe they had been there for like ten years or something, which it doesn't justify, but it lent itself to you know like we've been here for a long time, and now they're just they don't want to see anything that distracts them or may take away what they've done. If they've only been there for a year, it's like well, at least a year. That's I mean, even maybe- more evil, you know. Like that's like you. You just didn't care from the beginning. This wasn't something that uh, after a while you're like, now I'm blind to it because I can't give up. Um, right. Which, I've, I'm pot committed. Yeah. Pot, yes. Yes. Yeah. Pot He's tilted. I, I just heard uh, I was reading something about black sales and I heard that the reason they got the second and third seasons basically greenlit is that the, the sets for the first season were so expensive that it was cheaper to make three seasons really than it was to make one. And to really take their time in developing the arc of those characters. And I think that's super cool. That's great. Yeah. That's such a first world thing. Why build one? Oh, right. You can build two for twice the cost. <laughs> yeah. Here's my question about the science. Mm-hmm. Uh, is why, uh, why the entity begins to divide when it does like has it been dividing under the ground all this time and we've just caught like one of the many um or is this like is somehow the examination of it oh it's very short as children's or cat right <laughs> that was hard to say uh but like is it because it's under observation that that's what's causing it to multiply maybe it's fight or flight right it's by itself and now it needs to mm. It has to multiply because at some point, and I can't remember, they bring up some theory as to when they come in contact, one, one by itself isn't very much. But when they come in contact with multiple, they become like a, a brain. Like they, they Now they're formidable. And Picard um, has that and- line of like, more is stronger. <laughs> when it comes to brain cells uh yeah so that's that's what i think i think that would they only brought up a single cell uh even though and, and there were cells planet wide in that saline layer that was underneath the sand and they just happened to see the one because that's where they were drilling and exposed that layer and they saw one and brought it up and then it started to multiply as it would probably normally um you know on the ship and then by the it got some critical mass where they could develop communication um and as we called out earlier that line about ugly bags of water it's the thing that's stuck in my head about this episode uh you know for for 30 years it's it's a great description of what a a human being is and data has that nice well yeah that's it's pretty apt uh, <laughs> uh description of 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 mostly you know 90 percent water in a flexible bag is what he calls human beings <laughs> It turns into that uh, a nice crystal formation, uh, which just felt very late 80s for me. It felt very koosh ball, uh, just felt very uh, <laughs> like I wanted to touch it. And there's a moment uh, <laughs> where at the end, before they're going to beam it away, where Riker comes in and has a moment in the mid 
in the mostly dark room. <laughs> Another just long this, shot that goes on with this long. long shot where he's looking at this uh, crystalline creature, and my husband said, yes. "Riker right now is thinking." Well, 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 a new alien right. species. <laughs> <laughs> I've never had you before. Well, hello, hello, hello. <laughs> I know. I thought he was chewing on the scenery. Like, did he not get enough this episode? So he's just really got to dig into this one? Like, well, there's I think- no reason for the pauses or the really heavy-handed, like, the way he delivered his lines. Like, just get rid of the... Get rid of the guy. Get beam down. This is uh, every day. <laughs> I think, though, I think this goes along with what Eric was saying, where it does feel like some of these scenes are like the director was behind going, doing the stretch <laughs> oh, of great. Like, yeah, yeah. motion. More. Like, just no, keep going. <laughs> in which case, he nailed it. If that's, if, in which case, perfect. Like, that was a well, great job. I, I actually. was actually, I, I was thinking that when uh, Jimmy mentioned that scene where Gates McFadden like dominates three quarters of the frame Yes. behind her are a couple other people a little further back. And there's, it's, it's just so dramatic, but it's not just like half of her face. It's down shoulders and a little bit more. And she's so striking in this. And I found myself really taken by her performance and I had never looked into her background. Do you, do y'all know her story? Mm, no. Do y'all know the name Cheryl McFadden by any chance? Mm-hmm. I have, I'm such a fucking loser. I never knew this, but she's a choreographer and dancer as well mm. of Cheryl McFadden. And she choreographed Labyrinth. And what? she choreographed what, the movie? Puppets Take Manhattan. Yeah. She Holy cow. She's a choreographer and puppet movement supervisor for Jim Henson works in the mid eighties, like right before this. I actually like a lot of her, uh, you know, dialogue in this as well too. Like mm-hmm. I like the, the way she delivers the scientific method. Like you know, all right, yeah. this is we're going to treat this, um, you know, the way science intended. All right, right. We're going to theorize right. all this, and he's, she's got those great back and forth moments with data. You know, she really does command. You know, the middle portion of this story. Yeah, terrific. Um, and those. Close-up shots, you know, with the uh, Vaseline on the lens, like she, the, nice to look at as well. And uh, I, I do, I do. The, even in the conference room shots uh, later on, again, it's just shot in a very different way that you see on on. You know, usually it's always that fixed up ahead three-quarter, you know, view of the table. But I think he was like, I'm going to put some cameras on the fucking table and shoot people, you know, uh, with these with these great close-ups, and it, uh, it it does work for a stranger, differenter visual look um but what do you guys think of these 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 aliens uh they are not you know to be fucked with (laughs) they're like we are gonna have war right now we tried all these things you know we are now at war with you is one of my favorite lines and um at the end after even they're like okay fine we won't fight anymore they're like nah come back when you've matured a little bit I was going to fight until you turn the lights off. I don't like the (laughs) dark. I really dig the concept of the alien because it's mission true to Star Trek, you know, strange new worlds and new civilizations. So totally bringing in a whole different type of sentient life is amazing. And it's why I like Star Trek. So that part I love. I thought that the um, how it manifested was maybe... A product of the time and so i can give it some pass on that I, 
you know, two points of light is, is okay. The voice I thought was super lazy. I mean, this thing, even, even for where they were, this thing could infiltrate the computer. It could take over all their systems. It could take over a computer voice and sound just as good as the enterprise's computer voice and not this staccato thing <laughs> that they games. came up with. Yeah, which is just like that was a, a, a lazy way of interpreting how does an alien sound and unimaginative for something that was so imaginative, you know, like a, a non-organic species that lives in a lair. So the whole planet, it seems barren, but it's actually teeming with intelligent, sentient life. And that's that's absolutely amazing. And then it talks like that. Like it was like <laughs> it wasn't a good translation for me. So I, I love the idea of it. I didn't love the execution of how they let us communicate with it, which they had to. You know, there had to be some dialogue. Um, and I wish they would have come up with a better way to defeat it rather than turn off the lights. <laughs> yeah, I hear that. Also, I wanted there to be more of a progression. I think even as a child, I thought they basically say, like, if you're going to get um, duplicated and have more brain cells, it's going to get smarter. I mean, that's basically what they say. Uh, right. But it still has yes. that stilted language. And I thought, you know, the stilted language in the beginning was because it wasn't, it was kind of gaining more steam and it didn't get more steam by the end. Um, right. And that, that was not really a complete thought, yes. uh, I thought, by the production. And the yeah, conclusion the was very uh, last season of Game of Thrones, like wrap it up. Yeah. <laughs> wrap it up. Uh, by the but end, it would have been it. nice to, to make it clear that it was slowing itself down to communicate with us mm. as opposed to striving to make itself heard and communication seems to be the the main theme here was that they it just was trying the entire time and it couldn't even when it had control of the computers as you were saying jimmy and the the translator it still took some you know crunching of numbers to really be like here's this inorganic life form trying to figure out what language is uh which is a very human construct uh so i i got that there would have been some you know, hard translations there, but uh, I do agree that once they kind of did that, they could have gone uh, in a much different area. Um, I do uh, want to shout out Deanna Troy again uh, because she tries as hard as she can to say, you are beautiful in every single way. We just didn't know you were there. <laughs> She does. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, recent world events for me have ruined the term you're beautiful in light of violent actions. So when she said that, yeah. immediately, it was like, uh, eh. <laughs> it, it fell flat for me. Not because of her, it's just because of, uh, of what has happened in the world. Uh, whatever do you mean? Drink. Oh, here's uh. the question. When they had, when they had, uh, that moment before the the lab uh got contam contaminated you know like that breached right was there that that woman that we talked about who was down there in engineering did they say that she was an ensign because yes. if she was the oldest ensign ever well first of all the oldest ensign ever i was like that is awesome uh but second of all who puts an ensign in charge of the most important thing happening on the ship at that very moment for everybody uh, there is the enterprise does they do it with wesley all the time I know. Sometimes real acting ensigns get those well, well i feel like it's duties. isn't it more a problem that wesley has an officer's rank 
because Ensign is an, is an officer, right? So like, mm-hmm. that's, that's what always freaks me out is that it, it, it feels like it's this shitty little rank because they've given a child <laughs> like chain of command responsibility, which is fascinating to me. I'm just saying you want your best person. Like not that not that she's not great and not that Ensign isn't great, but you want you want Jordy's eyes on that. Oh, you yeah, want, that's true. You want that's Data's true. eyes on that. He's not yeah. your engineer yet, though. I know. You're right, Kate. They should have had Jordy there and then had her as a person fixing the light. Like, cause that's a extraneous part where anybody could do it from central casting, but that part should have been a Star Trek regular. Because that is important. It's Turning important. off the light is not important. <laughs> or difficult. Good point. Good point. And we'll get to Wesley's uh, acting ensign rank being an advantage for him in some Starfleet uh, training uh, programs in the future. Squeeze! Mm-hmm. He's going to go on a date, I think. Wait. No, stop it. It never happens. <laughs> it's not canon. It's not real. <laughs> uh, so let's get final thoughts on home soil. Uh, Eric, I'm going to look at you. What are you. What are your thoughts here as we close this up? I kind of, I, I absolutely love this episode. So like I am biased, but I, especially now that I look at the background of the director and, uh, you know, a little bit more knowledge about the background of some of the actors, like I, I knew Gates McFadden had a large presence in LA theater and so do pretty much the entire cast of the next generation. So, and, and this director coming from, you know, not just the method, but method, with members of the group theater, uh, it's super fascinating to me to watch what I think is some of the most interesting acting anyway, that's, that's happened yet in the show. It doesn't always hit, but I feel like with this director, everybody was willing to really take some, some fun directions with, uh, where they were willing to go. So I, I, I feel like I'm going to watch it again before, you know, the next few months like while we're watching other stuff i'm gonna do a rewatch of this one i thought it was great yeah yeah and it feels like they were able to experiment a lot more with those characters uh than they were in farpoint because that was just learning their 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 roles and now that they're settled a little bit they're able to to trust Corey allen and just you know go a little bit nuts that makes a lot of sense having no rehearsal time clearly like it's not in the budget if you don't have the script until you're starting to shoot you're just shooting you know, no time for new sets, you know, no plan going into scenes. I bet he was able to, you know, get some pretty free performances out of them. Kate, what did you think of home soil? I'm going to give it seven and a half sentient light creatures. Uh, (laughs) I like this. Uh, I had zero memory of this one. This one was all. So when you say the, the murder mystery, you already knew, uh, I definitely was like following all of the little red herrings along the way because I was oh, like, super cool. who wants him dead? Because um, uh, I thought that they killed him to keep it a secret that the that there was aliens. So mm. I, I anyway, I just I yeah, I, uh, uh, yeah I, it was a, a really interesting episode. I kind of both get 100 percent the criticism of it not fitting into the sort of visual oeuvre uh but i also like it for that reason um in some ways so yeah seven and a half i like it i, I like feel it. like it would fit into the visual oeuvre of later you know ambitious episodes like that uh 
you know, Riker and insane asylum stuff. And, mm. yeah. Well, and it, it fits into the oeuvre of, uh, of encounter at Farpoint, right? Like there's some really like interesting shots that take place there. And really that started it all. So you could argue that this is the true visual style. Boom! Boom! Corey Allen! Yeah, we are. We are all <laughs> celebrating that. Jimmy G, what do you think? Uh, I think liking sci-fi, uh, you go into it knowing that most of it is bad. It's kind of like... It's kind of like church hymns. Uh, it's not the it's not the substance; it's the content that you like. <laughs> um, and for this episode, I absolutely like I said earlier. I love the fact that they brought in a whole different type of sentient life form, and that is absolute sci-fi. Uh, so for that, I would give it um, seven as well, Kate. But I would give it seven ugly bags of mostly water. <laughs> Uh, but there is one point of contention that I have at the very end in the captain's log. Picard says we had a near tragedy. And I think the life partner of the hydraulic specialist would argue it was a complete tragedy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because somebody was absolutely murderized. Uh, and yeah, that that's a tragedy. Uh, and also that the captain can declare 300 year quarantine that is a that's power <laughs> yeah and i didn't know that uh, a captain could do that that's the kind of tyranny that i think we need at this particular point <laughs> yes quarantining a benevolent shut it Lord. down uh yeah so i uh, as i said i have very fond memories of this episode it was cemented in my brain maybe because also the olympics were happening at this time to bring it back like i feel like this is a two week period where uh, some of my short term memories were definitely etched into my long term memories for whatever reason. Uh, I've got an emotional connection with with uh, both uh, what was happening in Calgary and uh, here in this episode. Uh, and it is that line, ugly bags of water, just having that description, as well as the idea that you didn't know what you were going to get when the start of this episode. Um, I don't think they, you know, watching it now and and uh, recognizing all the criticisms that we've brought up here, uh, some of them make it more interesting and fun as far as the visual looks go. Uh, I think the rush in writing muddied a lot of the whodunit nature for me. Uh, and it, it has a great premise and a start in those first two acts. And it kind of doesn't feel like it has that same weight. You never really get like the aha moment, even though you have these you know, it kind of almost shifts genres midway through uh, to being more about the hard sci-fi and how they're going to communicate with this thing. Uh, although we do get the nice moment where Riker's like, they killed Melanson. And they're like, oh, all right. Well, it's just kind of a throwaway line just to be like, yep, that mystery is solved. Uh, you know, and that's about, what, 70, 70% through the episode. Um, yeah, so I, I think the execution gets a little bit muddied, but uh, I you know, put this in, in the canon of these first season episodes that uh, made me love this show going forward. So thank you for going on this journey, everybody. Next week, we have Coming of Age, uh, which is a nice star turn for Wesley Crusher. Don't wet your pants yet, Kate. He gets to go to school. 
with some uh, some really interesting characters and alien species. Uh, so that's great. It's about three week skip ahead. Uh, so they ran reruns for a couple of, uh, of weeks and went back with this. So we'll be back uh, with coming of age. We will not be skipping uh, three weeks, but uh, we're excited to come back with that. <laughs> we'll be doing three repeats. <laughs> Uh, and meanwhile we will clean our pants because I'm pretty sure the snow just made them all wet thanks for being with us on the bridge for this episode of re-engage next week we are continuing on our mission with the next episode of Star Trek the next generation follow re-engage on Instagram and Twitter at re-engage TNG to get updates on episode drops and all kinds of fun Star Trek shenanigans follow Kate Yeager at Yeagerlicious on Twitter and Insta Eric Gratton is at Eric Falls Down on Twitter and Insta. Jimmy G is, of course, at the Jimmy G on Instagram. Greg Tito is at Greg Tito on Twitter and at Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. Reengage is edited and mixed by Krista Curry. At Krista from Glee on Twitter and Krista.Curry on Instagram. Logo artwork by Mojo Jojo underscore 97 on Twitter, or you can find her at Mojo97.com. Theme music is by Ryan Marth. Thanks for listening. Stand by for the saucer section to re-engage.